0: welcome to the commercial real estate show your source for market intelligence forecasts and success strategies hello i'm michael bull thanks for being with us on one of the stations around the country maybe you're watching on youtube itunes or the show website commercialrealestateshow.com thanks for being with us well today we're going to talk about student housing uh the name of the show is student housing forecasts and opportunities i think it's interesting when you talk about any specialty sector you get into opportunities that maybe you have opportunity for higher returns than in a, in a larger sector, but also uh, maybe more risk, right? So we're going to talk about student housing, where we are today, what we expect moving forward. Please welcome my first guest. is Taylor Gunn. Taylor is a research analyst with Axiometrics, and she's joining us on the phone today. Taylor, thanks for being with us.
1: Thanks for having me, Michael. Glad to be back.
0: Yes, thank you. So, how is student housing uh, been performing uh, this year? Where are we?
1: So, overall, the sector is still performing really well. So, we've reported over the last few years that leasing velocity has outpaced the previous years. So, we saw that trend again starting off the 2016 leasing season, where... Leasing velocity was outpacing not only 2015, but 2014 as well. And then we saw that kind of slow towards summer months, and occupancy ended up around 95.7% in September. And that's down just a little bit from September of 2015, but only by around 20 basis points. So still really strong occupancy figures. Uh, nationwide for student housing. And then annual effective rent growth is actually above where we've seen it in the past. So it averaged around 2.2% for the 2016 leasing season. And this is actually uh, kind of above where we've seen the long-term average for conventional apartments, which is around 2.2 percent so we're seeing stronger rent growth numbers and still really solid occupancy figures nationwide
0: yeah and that's that's great so to put that in perspective especially the occupancy what is the kind of historic occupancy for this sector
1: so we saw you know a, a little over 95 percent last year uh, we saw a little below 95 percent in 2014, prior to that time, it, it was between 93 and 95. So we're we're approaching closer to 96% over the last couple years, where in the past it's been kind of below 95 on average.
0: So this sector historically then stays pretty full.
1: Yeah, yeah. yeah. Ocup- occupancy and demand in general for student housing is continuing to improve. So, I mean, it's been there in the past, but as the sector is growing, we're seeing the demand increase as well.
0: Okay. And you guys are tracking on all sizes in the major markets, uh, A, B, all types of student housing properties?
1: Correct, yes.
0: Okay. And are there certain uh, classes then doing better or worse, maybe campus versus off-campus or more of the new product versus uh, older, maybe B product?
1: So what we typically see in terms of on- and off-campus performance, uh, the demand for on-campus housing will Always be there. That's just naturally what's going to happen with, you know, the on-campus housing situation, at least in you know most at most universities. But in some cases, we we don't necessarily see the demand for on-campus housing necessarily because the housing on campus is is a lot older. Um, It's over fifty years old on average, and so the comparison between on and off campus is kind of. It's looking at, you know, very old traditional stock compared to this new kind of grand um, kind of different housing option that we've seen in the past. So we, we don't necessarily see any huge differences in terms of performance because if we see the demand on campus, we see the demand off campus as well, especially if there's a living requirement for the university. So we've seen on-campus housing, Average around 95% occupied and in many cases higher, some over capacity. And that kind of trickles into the off-campus housing space. Mm -hmm. But if we look at kind of off-campus housing, which assets are performing better, it's those assets located less than half a mile from campus. Those are the ones that see the stronger rent growth and the higher occupancies. We didn't necessarily see a slow and year-over-year leasing velocity for those assets located less than half a mile from campus, where those located, you know, between half a mile and a mile, and those greater than a mile saw uh, a bigger impact in terms of year-over-year leasing velocity slowing. And then rent growth um, for those assets located less than half a mile is still pretty strong. We just see less of uh, rent growth for those those newer assets right next to campus because they tend to be priced a little bit higher.
0: Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, my daughter is a student at UGA, and last year she was in the, the dorm, and this, this building is archaic. I mean, it's very old. And now this year she's in a new apartment, and it is right downtown uh, Athens, so it's close. It looks like the building's full. The uh, rent is high, <laughs> and it's very nice, and she's enjoying it. So, So what's impacting student housing today, Taylor, and and what will impact it moving forward, do you think?
1: So really, I mean, it varies market to market. Um, Nationally speaking, uh, we're not immediately concerned with kind of the shifting demographics, but it's something we're definitely keeping our eye on as, you know, the 18 to 24-year-old population and the millennial generation as that age group kind of grows older, we're seeing, you know, less people kind of falling into the typical college age, but immediately that's not a concern that we are seeing an impact on in terms of performance. But in some markets, we are seeing new supply impact performance. And like I mentioned before, it's more those properties located more than, you know, half a mile from campus that are really seeing the impact. And then, really, it's the older assets as well that are located right next to the new supply next to campus. So, you know, even though it's priced higher, you know, students would would typically rather pick the newer, highly amenitized asset over kind of the older asset, even if they're located right next to each other.
0: Right. And demographics is interesting when you think about it moving forward, right? If that uh, uh, millennial group of, of people are are getting out of college age, if there's less students there, it's interesting to see what's going to happen moving forward. So, so what is your forecast moving forward for the student housing sector?
1: We're expecting performance to remain strong. Uh, we're projecting occupancy to remain above ninety five percent and rent growth to remain solid. We are going to uh, kind of expect a slowing leasing velocity year over year, but with that rent growth figure kind of higher than we've seen in the past, it's kind of expected. Uh, we, we just we don't see any, you know, any major issues across the sector. I mean, it's been doing well, and we don't see that changing anytime soon.
0: And there's been a lot of new construction and new supply and, and regular multifamily, uh, but what are you seeing in student housing? Is it a little more controlled new supply levels?
1: Yeah. So, relative to the conventional multifamily apartment, it it definitely is. Uh, For 2016, we saw over 48,000 beds delivered off-campus. This is kind of in line with 2015 levels and below peak levels that we saw in 2013 and 2014. And then if we look kind of at next year, we're tracking over 50,000 off-campus beds. But these are, you know, these are being delivered at places that have seen supply in the past and saw supply this year, but also in, like, markets that have never seen new supply before. So we're seeing a lot of new supply be delivered in some, at some com- community colleges and even technical colleges across the U.S.
0: Right. And then the election results, let's talk about that. I think some people thought if Hillary got in, it would be great for for colleges and for for student housing. But now that Trump's uh, in office, have you guys looked at that? It might have any impact on the student housing sector.
1: So that's, you know, that's not something we've really dug into quite yet. We think it's kind of too early to tell. Uh, Generally speaking, we see little impact in the near term but it will depend on what happens with the economy but the good thing is for student housing is that if we do see a recession here in the next few years we tend to see higher enrollment growth mm-hmm. during recessionary periods so that's that's a that's a positive impact on the
0: sector well that's interesting and based how long this cycle's been been great you would think we're due for a downturn at some point but uh i don't think any of us expect it to be a bad downturn well taylor thanks for joining us we appreciate uh, you calling in the show today
1: thanks so much for having me
0: if you like more information from axiometrics visit their website axiometrics.com and stay with us we'll have more on student housing i'm michael bull this is the commercial real estate show stay with us Welcome back to the Commercial Real Estate Show. I'm Michael Bull. Today we're talking about student housing. Our show is called Student Housing Forecasts and Opportunities. Please welcome my next guest. Is Brent Little. He's president of Fountain Residential, and they uh, are a developer, an investor, an asset manager of student housing properties pretty much all over the country, right, Brent? Thanks for joining us. Good morning, Michael. How are you? We appreciate you being in uh, Studio 1 today. So, tell us what you guys are up to at, at Fountain. Are you guys buyers or sellers of this market? Are you developers and and, and where are you, where are you, what are you doing today? Right. We're student housing developers
2: mm-hmm. and we develop all across the United States. Uh, some of our most recent properties have been all the way from Minneapolis, Minnesota and Bozeman, Montana to San Antonio, Texas and Fayetteville, Arkansas. So, Any major university really with a full-time enrollment of about 10,000 students or above across the country is a place that we're interested in.
0: So you're spending a lot of times in the planes and airports, right? (laughs) A lot of times in planes and airports, that's correct. And what do you think about the future enrollment in in colleges and how that's going to impact student housing moving forward? Well, right now with the
2: growth of the millennial demographic in the United States Mm -hmm. we're seeing enrollment is projected to grow about 2.2 million students over the next eight years. Mm -hmm. So that's about an average of 300,000 students per year. And there's only this year there's projected to be 45,000 new off-campus beds developed. So that's only about 15% of the demand from those new students over the next eight years. So
0: it's it's a significant demand and unmet demand uh, today. Right, so that's pretty amazing number. So, why isn't there more new supply coming online? Is it is it a problem with getting construction financing? Finding the right sites? What what is it that's slowing supply? Well, supply has been at an all time high for
2: the last couple of years. We've mm-hmm. been developing about sixty thousand beds of off campus housing on an annual basis for the last couple of years. Mm -hmm. And it's declined to about 48,000 this year and projected to be 45,000 next year. And I think the primary reasons for that that we're seeing are uh, it's tougher and tougher to find good raw land Mm -hmm. Uh, around major universities. They're typically in urbanized areas. And most of the good sites have been taken. We're tearing down a lot of things we've torn down Kmart's and biker bars and gas stations (laughs) and you name it, we've torn it down and developed student housing there. At the same time, we're starting to see fear of an increase in interest rates Mm -hmm. with the latest elections and some of the things that Janet Yellen has been talking about. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's decreased the spreads on the student housing as well as uh, just finding uh, good sites and construction loans are tightening up a little bit too. Uh, With the effects of the Dodd-Frank legislation it's tougher and tougher for banks to uh to roll out that construction debt we're starting to see that tighten up a little bit but but from found residential standpoint we like that a little bit we like a little tighter market and uh, we only do two to three deals a year across the united states Mm -hmm. and uh, so we're not a production shop we just need to go find two or three good deals and we're able to do that in today's marketplace.
0: I see. And I can't believe you tore down a biker's bar. <laughs> and that was in
2: Sacramento, California. Oh, uh, was it? The uh, home of the legislature there. <laughs> we got unanimous approval
0: for our rezoning for some reason. I don't know why. So. <laughs> uh, they have something against the bikers there. So you mentioned uh, sites. So uh, as we were talking to uh, Taylor uh, Gunn earlier at Axiometrics, she said that the the production of the performance rather of student housing properties the closer you are to the the campus seems like the, the overall the better uh, production you're having performance you're having so how close are the sites that you need how close do they need to be to campus
2: well I think it used to be in the 80s and 90s when student housing was was really created off-campus student housing as a, as a segment we really focused in kind of two to three miles away from campus. Mm-hmm. We typically built garden apartments. So we'd be finding 10 to 20 acre parcels, getting those rezoned and building three story garden walk-ups, very conventional apartments. Mm-hmm. And what we found over time was the performance of those projects that were closer and closer to campus was better from both a lease up standpoint and an average rental rate and a general occupancy. So. Mm-hmm. Uh, What's happened over the years is there's been a preference, both from the students uh, voting with their pocketbooks and their feet, to be closer to campus. Uh, To give you an example, back in Austin, uh, there was an area called Riverside that was about five miles away from campus at UT, and that's where all the student housing was and people were paying four to $500 a bed to live in that housing. Mm-hmm. Austin rezoned an area right next to campus for high rise and higher uh, density development there. And everyone came in and built higher density and high rise apartments there and started getting $900 to $1,000 and above now. Wow. So that supported the additional construction cost and the land cost for those closer sites and that's what's been being deployed now. We used to call it walk to campus locations, Mm -hmm. and really what we're looking for now that we call fall out of bed (laughs) to campus locations because I think in the last several years about the farthest from campus that we've developed a property is about three blocks and uh, and so we're really looking for those
0: that are adjacent to campus we'll fall out of bed that's a lot better than stagger home uh, <laughs> location, <laughs> right so how, how are you finding the municipalities i think a lot of of cities uh in zoning and zoning and entitlement they would like to have student housing like, like that student population uh, to kind of help those those market areas uh are you finding that uh, they're working with you on entitlement and zoning for these properties there- there's a broad range of answers to that question.
2: Yeah. Um, some cities are understand the issue that they have. We have one market where the city understands that uh, you know there's only about 20, on a national basis, only about 20 to 25 percent of students are able to be housed on campus. Mm-hmm. And the universities, they have to deploy their capital first for academics and of course second for football, <laughs> the important things. Right. And so they look out at the marketplace and go, well our students can be housed elsewhere but they can't be taught anywhere else. So, so that's where they have to deploy their capital and use their valuable land resources. So some cities look at it and go, well, that's great. And like Austin did and said, let's try to rezone it so that we can get students close to campus, not have them go out into our population centers and and use up our valuable resources and get further out into the city or the county uh, and reduce the traffic and and, uh, fire and everything else that's needed for those. But some, there's a real town versus gown kind of mentality that Mm -hmm. we see and and you'll go in there and you'll say, well, we want to build this project right next to campus. And they go, well, we'd really like to see condos there, one and two bedroom condos. And you go, well, there's no demand for $500,000 condos next to campus. Yeah. What there's a demand for is the 30,000 people that go to school here and the 20,000 people that work here to, to have a place to live. Yeah. And they don't really seem to understand that. So, uh, we try to help them understand that it doesn't matter what we build that's what's going to occupy this and the students would really rather have our type of accommodations than a half million dollar condo.
0: yeah so what would you say right now I mean there's a lot of planners around the country uh, that listen to this show uh, and if they've got a, they have a university there in their market, what would you tell them about density and zoning and uh, I like to work with the communities that
2: want to put the students and the administrators very close to the campus. Mm -hmm. Uh, That makes sense to me, you know, rather than have them go out into the neighborhoods, take owner occupied housing, whether it's condos or single family housing Mm -hmm. and convert it to student housing. We can put it right next to campus. It needs to be thoughtful. It needs to meet with the architecture, but that's what I'd like to see them
0: do more. All right, well, stay tuned. We'll have more on student housing. This is the Commercial Real Estate Show. Stay with us check out Valuate, a real estate analysis program that can be easily shared with colleagues online to do what-if analysis. Visit GetValuate.com. That's GetValuate.com. Welcome back to the Commercial Real Estate Show. I'm Michael Bull. Today we're talking about student housing. We're looking at forecast and what's ahead of us. My guest is Brent Little. He is president of Fountain Residential. And uh, Brent, you kind of touched on this in the previous segment, but let's talk about uh, financing and how that could impact student housing because it seems like it's a little more difficult today to get construction financing on any type of uh, property, right? It is. We're hearing that, that
2: construction financing mm-hmm. is tightening up a little bit, both on rate, rates are projected to increase a quarter or uh, 25 basis points or so, in the uh, the near future, it sounds like, and then also just the leverage. Um, most people are wanting to see 70 to 75% leverage and it looks like that's trending down to 65 to 70% leverage. On new construction? On new construction requiring mm-hmm. uh, additional equity, mm-hmm. uh, which is driving the returns down because the return on your equity is gonna be higher than it is on your first construction loan debt. Yeah. And then on, new, on acquisitions, it's kind of the same situation, whether you're going with Fannie or Freddie or CMBS or a life insurance company, all those rates are starting to trend up a little bit. Yeah, so. but
0: lenders do like student housing, right?
2: they do it's been a very very solid sector and uh... you know the likelihood of a university that's thirty to fifty thousand students Going away in the near term is uh, is far lower than some employer leaving and going somewhere else. Obviously,
0: yeah, yeah, that's a yeah. good point. Uh, we're selling a medical office uh, building complex in Athens, and you know one of the things I think that, that people like about it is you know UGA's been there for over a hundred years, and you know it's not going anywhere, uh, so that gives you the stability. And student housing that investors and and lenders like, right? Exactly,
2: and and our cap rates are still very, very low. Mm -hmm. Um, The spreads between conventional uh, apartment housing and student housing have dropped Mm -hmm. from 100 basis points or so to 25 to 50, and in some places they've disappeared completely. Right, so you're getting a little bit better return on student housing than regular apartments. Right, and, and I've talked to some people recently at conventions, and they said that the most recent trades of what they consider Class A student housing projects at mm-hmm. walk to campus locations are trading around the five and a quarter range, which is very, very low.
0: Right, right. So tell to us a little bit uh, if an investor is investing in multifamily and now they're looking at student housing. It's a little bit of a different business, right? It? it is a little bit from uh, construction, development, and
2: property management the product itself tends to have a higher number of bedrooms Uh, we do a lot of three and four bedrooms we've even done some five bedrooms at least very well as opposed to most of the time in a conventional asset you're going to have one and two bedrooms maybe with ten percent three bedrooms if you're in a neighborhood with a lot of families or something like that Mm -hmm. so we average about three beds per unit uh, which drives our parking needs up significantly too and then as far as the unit itself, we're usually and several lease. So if you're leasing a four bedroom or your son or daughter are leasing a four bedroom because they're 18 years of age and they can sign on a contract because they're adults now, right? right. Um, and, uh, and it will include everything. It'll include electric, cable TV, gas, uh, trash, high speed internet, high speed internet and Wi Fi is very, very important for, for the millennials. Uh, everything is all included in
0: one rental rate, which is very convenient for us parents when we <laughs> go to take our kids to school. Right, right. That's interesting because my, uh, my daughter's uh, renting uh, with two roommates and uh, really uh, in downtown Athens. And yeah, we had to contact different utility companies. And, you know, I'm like, they're asking me for a security deposit for a utility. I'm like, really? I mean. <laughs>
2: <laughs> you know, we have better things to do, and, and yeah. we make it very, very easy. It's, it's mm-hmm. full of convenience. All the furniture is already there, mm-hmm. so you don't have to go buy furniture and haul it in. Uh, and uh, granite countertops, stainless steel appliances. We're doing 50 to 55 inch flat screen TVs in the living rooms now already there. So when your student moves in, pretty much you can unpack the car and that's it. (laughs) What are some of the other amenities that uh, might surprise the listeners and viewers? You know, I think last time I was here, we talked about mm-hmm. the amenity arms race that was going on. <laughs> we had seen all kinds yeah. of things out there. We'd seen uh, rooftop pools and 60 foot TVs, mm-hmm. rock climbing walls and lazy rivers. And uh, it seems like in the last year or two, the market is kind of retrenched back to the basics and what the students really want, and what they're really using, which is we have to have a great amenity area, communal area for them to gather in the clubhouse. We have to have a great fitness area because fitness is very important. And even if there's there's always a great rec center there on campus, but with the large universities, that could be two miles away, and you don't want to have to get up, you know, and uh, and go all the way there and come back all sweaty and have to deal with that. So having something you can walk to there on the property is great. If you're in the south, a great pool area is very important. Mm-hmm. And then uh, we're seeing a lot more demand for study rooms as an amenity. <laughs> really? Right? Believe it or not. No, really? <laughs> <laughs> so, so we do a lot of different kinds of study rooms. Mm-hmm. We have some, some that are communal with a big whiteboard in them, mm-hmm.
0: uh, smaller ones for individuals, yeah. and, uh, and all different types of study well, rooms. Well, the parents mm-hmm. like to hear that, that they're, you're building study rooms. Well, stay with us. We'll look at the impact of higher construction costs and higher interest rates on student housing. Stay with us. Are you in commercial real estate brokerage? Check out Apto. Created by and for commercial real estate brokers, Apto is the leading web-based platform for managing relationships, properties, listings, deals, and back office. Visit apto.com slash CRE show. Commercial real estate owners defer thousands, sometimes hundreds of thousands of tax dollars through cost segregation. I recommend Ernst & Morris call one 800 cost or visit costseg.com Welcome back. I'm Michael Bull and this is the Commercial Real Estate Show. Today we're talking about student housing. My guest is Brent Little. He is president of Fountain Residential. And one of the things that seems to be impacting commercial real estate in all sectors has been rising construction costs. And I guess uh, student housing has been no different. So what have you seen for rising costs and what do you see today?
2: We've started to see some real stabilization in the construction costs. Uh, Over the last few years, we'd be getting initial estimates of cost and then we'd go to closing and we'd see those costs go up when we let the final construction contract, and we'd have to value engineer out some of the construction costs. Uh, In our most recent project, we saw those final bids drop several hundred thousand dollars and we were able to add additional contingency to the project. So we're starting to see them drop in markets and level off. One of the issues that we have with uh, student housing projects, a lot of times they're not in major metropolitan areas. They're in in college towns, uh, and so let's say for example uh, Oxford, Mississippi. There's nothing there but a college. You know Morgantown, West Virginia. That's a big college town, and there's not a major area to deploy construction trades from so the issue that we've had in previous years and to some extent still today is we're saying we've got a project in Fayetteville, Arkansas and we may be trying to move tradesmen from the Dallas, Fort Worth or Houston area and they say I've got more work than I can do in these areas why would I go somewhere else? Uh, So we've been fighting that but we've seen it stabilize now and uh, hopefully it will trend down a little bit and maybe take up some of the,
0: the cap rate sensitivity and interest rate sensitivity that we've seen okay so you had some really increases that uh, kind of surprising to you in the past and now it's stable enough so why is that is that based more on the labor cost or I, I think that it's uh, it's some of the things that we mentioned that construction
2: lending is tightening up and it's not just for student housing it's for all multifamily, it's for all sectors and uh, you know perhaps all those tradesmen, they, they move from various sectors to home building, to multifamily, to student housing, retirement housing, all of those sectors. And so we're seeing that uh, stabilize. Somewhat. So a little bit of
0: supply and demand for the for the services. Exactly, Interesting. exactly. Interesting. Yeah. And in an earlier segment, you were talking about interest rates and their impact. So, so what are you guys looking forward to as you look at 2017? Uh, what do you expect to see for increases in interest rates and how do you think it might impact student housing? I think
2: over the last several years they've been trending down, which has meant that our cap rates have been trending down as low on the exit side, Mm -hmm. but uh, we're starting to see an increase. I know that I talked to a broker earlier this week and they were in best and finals on one of the projects, and the people that were in the best and final round came back and said that they were going to have to decrease their offer by half a million dollars because of a projected increase in the interest rates. that's going to to squeeze a few more projects out of the realm of possibility. If you're seeing cap rates trend up, and your return on cost is sa- staying the same, that means you'll have less production. So, I think we're that's helping the decrease from 60,000 beds down to 45,000 beds next year, and it could trend even lower if if the returns
0: get squeezed. Well, it's interesting because I think a lot of People own commercial real estate and own student housing. Have kind of been looking at the, uh, when they want to sell their properties, and they keep thinking, "Well, maybe we should sell." Interest rates were low, and they're like, "Well, they're going to stay low. They're going to stay low." You guys have been saying interest rates are going to rise for a couple of years. Exactly. And is it finally going to happen? I mean, our owners are going to, our sellers are going to believe it. Well, well, we'll see. The
2: proof is in the pudding, right? Yeah, and, and, yeah. Uh, and everybody has been concerned about interest rates rising, mm-hmm. but it hasn't happened yet. Yeah. But I think if you look at what's happened since the election, I think the fears seem to be mm-hmm. that they're going to be realized and interest rates are going to tick up. Now, it doesn't seem like they're going to go up you know, in the long term maybe, but, mm-hmm. but we'll have to see what happens, and, yeah. and that could decrease the spreads and reduce the amount of product on the ground.
0: So, so did you guys in the student housing sector think that if Hillary was voted in uh, that that would be good for student housing, because she was talking about you know supporting uh, college cost, and now that uh, Trump's in, do you, what do you forecast there? Um, I think we've all given up the forecasting
2: business, first of (laughs) all. I don't think there's anybody in that business anymore, Um, but obviously uh, the Democrats were talking about making uh, all uh, college funded by the states uh, without debt for the students. It wasn't free, but they were going to, you were going to come out without debt which, uh, so it wasn't free college, but it it was interesting that the universities, the articles I read about the universities said that they were not very supportive of that because Mm -hmm. frankly, they can barely keep up with the growth. We talked about what's happening to the millennial demographics and the 2.2 million increase in enrollment over the next year. They're looking at their availability of academic space and professors Mm -hmm. and everything else to take care of the academic needs. And if you said they were going to have additional millions of students on top of that, they wouldn't be able to handle it. So uh, I think that would be good for us because that would be more money for housing as opposed to paying the tuition bills. Uh, But that seems to be off the table at this time. But I'd I'd say we don't need it. With the enrollment growth that's
0: already projected, uh, the industry is in good shape. Yeah. Well, what's your quick answer on cap rates? So if you're projecting a exit cap rate two years from now, what would you expect? With, what range, I guess?
2: You know, we talked about earlier that uh, that those fall out of bed to campus mm-hmm. uh, locations we're seeing a five and a quarter. I think they've been below 6% for some time now. Mm-hmm. It's been several years since we sold a deal that was north of a 6% exit cap rate mm-hmm. uh, on all of our entire portfolio across the united states so i'd say we'll stay sub six but i think it probably will trend up if we see treasuries and interest rates rise over the next year or two
0: okay just
2: up just up some <laughs> uh, stay, stay south of six for those okay. good property.
0: all right well stay with us we'll have more on student housing right after this message i'm michael bull this is the commercial real estate show Welcome back to the Commercial Real Estate Show. I'm Michael Bull. Today we're talking student housing with Brent Little. He's president of Fountain Residential. And so, Brent, where are opportunities for our listeners and viewers uh, related to student housing today? Well, we talked a lot about walk to campus
2: and fall out of bed to campus locations, but there's a lot of opportunity out there, even with we big developers and the REITs and everyone else building, you know, 500 to 1,000 bed complexes right next to campus. Uh, real estate is still very, very local. And so if you're in a market that, uh, that has a major university or a technical school or anything like that, there's lots of opportunities. Um, you know, it's hard for us to come into a market and we can find big parcels and throw money at it to, to assemble some things. But the local guys still do a lot of the student housing business in a marketplace, and they're able to go in and be patient. They know the people with the land there, mm-hmm. and they can assemble an acre or two or start assembling houses until they get enough property, just buying them one at a time and leasing them out to kids in the meantime. Mm-hmm. And, and then once they aggregate enough land, they can tear that down and build 30 units or 60 units or 80 units. You can wade into the product instead of just going, going big and having to do a big institutional development. And all of those, you know, and being able to do those smaller projects close to campus you may be able to do that on a small or scattered site basis you know you'll Mm -hmm. see people that have six little properties around a campus and they're all managed from
0: one location at least from one location yeah and that's a very viable way to do it how much of the student housing stock out there is owned by the smaller mom-and-pop owners I think still a majority of it is owned by the mom and pop or the locals Uh, you know the
2: big REITs may have Uh, several hundred thousand beds. Mm -hmm. The larger property management companies may have 60 or 80,000 beds. Mm -hmm. But like I said, you've got 20 million or more kids out there going to school. So
0: that that's owned or managed by the professionals is still a very, very small percentage. Yeah. Well, what would be an operational tip that you could share with somebody that maybe is going to wade in that way and, and start with something smaller near a campus? I mean, it seems like a little bit more complexity to to at least manage something where you're dealing with students? I I think
2: the tip that I would give for those that haven't done it before is not to let it become Animal House. Uh, (laughs) that's, That's a surefire way to diminish your value consistently. You know, when we see the people that are taking a property and putting the keg by the pool and it becomes the party zone, what you'll see is over time, believe it or not, These kids, it's a small percentage that want to do that. And the rest of the kids need to get a degree and get out and find a job. And so you'll keep the partiers and then the other 30 or 60 or 80% of your residents will go away and find a place where they can live. And how do you keep it from
0: becoming Animal House?
2: (laughs) Well, good professional management. We've got a lot of good third party managers out there. If you're looking for someone to manage your property, there's a lot of good third party managers And uh, and if you're managing yourself, which is a viable way of doing it, just uh, enforce the laws, enforce the codes, and if they have a party, give them a warning, and three times and you're out. They have to move somewhere else, so just enforce the regulations.
0: Three strikes and you're out. There you go. What about uh, leasing, and and, and if somebody has a small property near campus, uh, how might they attract uh, tenants?
2: Uh, There's a lot of good platforms out there, whether you want to go big with apartments.com and for rent and all of those places, but having a good website and making sure that works on mobile devices Mm -hmm. and making sure that online leasing is important because a lot of times kids are leasing and it's two o'clock in the morning, and they don't have anything else to do, and they've still got two or three hours before they're going to sleep. So, you know, they'll pull out their mobile devices yeah. with their friends and start surfing around for where they're going to live next year. Yeah. So having it fully operational, fully operational on your handheld devices and your pads, and something that you can do at any
0: time of the day or night is very important two hours it's two o'clock and they have two more hours before they're going to bed but thanks right. for joining us today we appreciate you being on the show all right thanks michael and thanks for listening out there across the country or watching on youtube or the show website be sure and join us next week we're going to talk about the single tenant net lease investment market some changes going on there with fasby and rising interest rates Hear are all about it next week until next week be sure you always lead learn and laugh and join us for the commercial real estate show The Commercial Real Estate Show is brought to you by Bull Realty, Asset and Occupancy Solutions. Ernst & Morris, the leader in cost segregation. Excelligent building data everywhere. Apto, your entire brokerage in the cloud. And Get Valuate online investment analysis. The best thank you, a referral to our sponsors. You can find them at CREshow.com.